another episode of Ins and Outs alongside Ben Kane and Alan Braden Shaw. And we're back here again to discuss um, some of the, Graham, allegedly some of the greatest films ever made. Yeah, this this 10 is really interesting because I think these are movies that you could definitely say are, should be up the list or down mm-hmm. the list. Um, I think there's two or three Best Picture winners in mm-hmm. this cat in this. Um, it's a really good. This these ten are really interesting for sure. And I mean, let let's just jump right in here. Um, this week we'll be discussing films eighty through seventy one on the list. And to start us off here, number eighty is The Apartment from nineteen sixty, directed by Billy Wilder and written by Billy Wilder and, and A I L Diamond. Um, stars Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, Fred McMurray. I think it's thought of as one of the uh, better comedies, not only of the '60s but of all time. All really. time, yeah. I mean, it's the only uh, comedy one best picture. Mm-hmm. Um, not like there's been romantic comedies or kind of things that have had comedy in it that have won best picture, but this is just a pure straight up comedy. Um, it won five Academy Awards. Um, it's a really funny movie. It holds up mm-hmm. pretty well comparatively sure. to other comedies that are on this list. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I just remember really loving this movie. Absolutely. And it's just, it's really good. Yeah, and kind of like what you mentioned there, it was nominated for 10 Oscars. Um, it won five. Um, it won for Best Picture, Best Director for Billy Wilder, Best Writing, um, Story, Screenplay, basically Best Original Screenplay, um, Best Art Direction, Set Direction, um, and Best Film Editing. It was also nominated for um, Best Actor in a Leading Role for Jack Lemmon, Best Actress in a Leading Role for Shirley MacLaine, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Jack Crucian, who was the um, doctor that lived by um, okay. Jack Lemmon's character, um, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound. Um, it is, I think, really one of the best ways to describe it. It's just, it's just funny. It's heartfelt. It's um, just really easy to watch, yeah, it's, too. It's what Billy, Billy Wilder kind of wanted to make. He's a very he's a really fun loving guy, and I think this really kind of shows that aspect of him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a really well made film. deserved it deserved the Academy Award. Um, also, I should say it didn't deserve it because people are gonna argue Psycho was in the same year. Yeah. So Psycho kinda, wasn't even nominated for Best yeah, Picture. Yeah. So it. Of the nominees that year, I think it was the best. It was um, nominated that year were The Apartment One, um, Elmer Gantry, Sons and Lovers, The Alamo, and The Sundowners. Yeah, that's the best out of that category. <laughs> yeah. Elmer um, Gantry, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard of that movie. Yeah, it, that was a weird year. I, I put down some other notable films from that year, Spartacus, which, we, which we've talked about, um, Psycho, The Magnificent Seven. Those are all classics. Yeah. So I mean, this department winning Best Picture kind of shows how important it was mm-hmm. and how... It was universally loved. And it also, I mean, it was important because obviously kind of one of the defining um, pictures for Billy Wilder, but also Fred McMurray um, is a guy who I think was probably more well known for his um, noir films. Uh, Double Indemnity was a big deal for him. Um, It kind of of brought Shirley MacLaine to the forefront. Yeah. um, For sure. And Jack Lemmon... It's funny because when I first saw this, I actually hadn't really seen a lot of Jack Lemmon's work. Okay. Um, I think the main thing I, I remember him from was Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Yeah. Which yeah. was one of his, which is another great role for him. Yeah, it's just surprising to see him in there and go, Yeah. this guy's a comedy actor. This guy, yeah. is a, he's a very good actor. Yeah, which that movie is um, uh, really, really fun to watch and has a really great cast, too. Glenn Gary Glenn yeah. Ross. It, had, it has, it had, um... Al Pacino, Ed Harris, Alec Baldwin showed up for a little bit. Which really put him into 
<laughs> like superstardom. Oh yeah, always be closing. Coffees is for closers. But anyway, um, back to the apartment though. Uh, it's just, it's just one of those films that I personally I would move it up this list. Okay. Um, I just think that because I saw it for the first time fairly recently, earlier this year. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's one of those films that, um, it's, it's black and white, um, and one of those older films, but still is super relevant today. It's kind yeah. of a, kind of a fun, um, kind of kooky story, if you will, um, about this guy that is just basically renting out his apartment to his bosses, um, yeah. for, for dates or whatever. But, um, and then it, it's a really touching, um, love story that kind of turns out between Jack Lemmon and, um, Shirley MacLaine's character. And it's just... I just really think it's well crafted by Billy Wilder as well. Yeah. Um, and really kind of just one of those I think quintessential classic comedies. Um, and I and again as we as as I've talked about ad nauseum I feel like on this list I think comedies deserve to be more respected and I think The Apartment is one of the world class ones. We need Ace Ventura Pet Detective on this list. <laughs> 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 it's a very different film, but yeah. hey, you know what? You can make the case. Yeah. Um, uh, it also was inducted into the National Film Registry in 1994. I've noticed that, um, I, I don't know if this is a rule or anything, but I noticed it takes about 30-ish years. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what that is. I don't know why. That, that seems kind of like an arbitrary number. I, I don't know. Like yeah. I'm, very, I'm confused as you are because I'm, I'm th- looking at some of these films and I'm like, these should be higher. Yeah. But also, these should be in the registry. Like, I think... I think Bonnie and Clyde entered in like a couple of years ago. It's one of those. Yeah. It's one of those ones where you're like, that should have been in a long time ago. Yeah, and we'll we'll touch on a couple other films that just made it fairly recently within the last ten years or so. But yeah, no, I think The Apartment is definitely a film that um, deserves to be on this list. I think everybody involved. Um, this kind of also just feels like classic Hollywood. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of like a last gasp. Before the 60s, like the James Bond era, mm-hmm. James Bond hit in 62, and so the kind of the change in aesthetic and the hippie era and then free love and all that kind of just changed everything by mm-hmm. the time we got to the 70s. Yeah. And there was like realistic films were being made, not like on sound stages anymore. For sure. And again, kind of what you were alluding to there, this was kind of right before the filmmakers were really pushing the boundaries <laughs> of what you could put in films. Yeah. Um, I mean... I don't want to call this the apartment a safe film per se. It is safe, but it kind I, I, of is. I mean, it's a safe pick, especially with Psycho, which depicted blood, depicted realistic things, depicted toilets for the first time, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, but like it, Hitchcock wasn't afraid to push those boundaries, mm-hmm. and I think it really made people shows. afraid of showers. Made people afraid of showers for years. <laughs> yeah. No, but I love the apartment. And um, definitely deserves to be on this list. Um, yeah. Next film up is number 79, um, The Wild Bunch from 1969, uh, directed by Sam Peckinpah and written by Sam Peckinpah, Waylon Green, and Roy Ann Sickner. Um, stars William Holden, Ernest Borgnine um, from Marty fame, um, mm-hmm. Robert Ryan. Uh, or, don't you mean he's, he's Mermaid Man? Well, <laughs> excuse me, I forgot his defining role as Mermaid He's Man. He's Mermaid Man, that's what our generation knows him as. Yes, yes. Um, and Robert Ryan uh, is nominated for two Oscars, Best Original Screenplay and Best Score, and inducted into the National Film Registry in 1999. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Okay, it, it changed the game in a way that it was one of the first films that made the MPAA kind of look and go. Mm-hmm. 
wow, violence. There's oh a lot of gosh. gore and violence well, in this movie. Just from the get-go, that shootout at yeah. the very beginning. Well, they, the guy, like, the last shootout is violent, bloody. It's, like, they use a chain gun and, like, oh, yeah. there's realistic gunshot wounds. Yeah. It really kind of, I think this kind of set, what, like, uh, the Clint Eastwood Western, like, mm-hmm. Unfor- like Unforgiven's on this list a little higher, um, kind of set that kind of tone where, yeah, these guys are gonna get shot. We're gonna show you like what it's like to get shot. We're yeah. not gonna hide it. And also, it's nineteen sixty nine, which is a sentimental year in film. Like it's seminal year mm-hmm. in film. We had Easy Rider. Sorry, mm-hmm. I lost the last one I was thinking of. It's all good. Wild Bunch. Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Cassidy and which Sundance we'll touch Kid. on later. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. It it was just a big year. Obviously, fiftieth anniversary this year um, of a lot of, of those films. But yeah, that sixty nine was really. I think the beginning of like the new age. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that there's a shootout scene at the end of The Godfather without this. Oh yeah, no that yeah that sunny scene at the toll booth doesn't happen without the wild bunch probably. It really kind of just set the tone for like this is violence. We're gonna show you yeah. everything. We're not gonna shy away, and it kind of set the tone for the westerns in the future. Now at the same time, I wasn't a huge fan of this film. I'm not the biggest fan of it either. I think it's yeah. a good movie. Yeah. But I don't think it deserved to be on above the apartment. Or, yeah. Um, or even I, just that high in general. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a it's important. It's a very important film because yeah. it really uh, made the MPAA what it is, where mm-hmm. they're deciding the R rating. They're deciding what we can do there. Yeah, it's it's fine. I think it's a good mo- it's a yeah. good western. It's not Yeah, I think William Holden is pretty good in it. Um I think Ernest Borgnine's kind of funny. Um but he's I don't, always comic relief. Well, for sure. Um and I don't know, it kind of I, th- I think it kind of lost a little bit of steam in the yeah. third act, I thought. Also these guys are not likable. Like they're not supposed yeah. to be, they're not meant to be likable people. Yeah. So it's showing like these this is what the west was. These like these people who were murderers, they're not good people. They're yeah. not heroes to save the day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know if I would put it on, keep it on the list, personally. I think uh, maybe I, for the importance, it should be like the '90s, probably. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess maybe just my it really comes down to weighing my personal enjoyment versus like the importance. Yeah, of it. I mean, there's films on this list later on where you're gonna be like, this is an important film. I don't know if it deserves to be this high. Yeah, but it deserves to be on the list. Yeah. Um, and moving on here to number 78, um, Modern Times, 1936, directed and written by Charlie Chaplin, um, stars Charlie Chaplin, Paulette Goddard, and Henry Bergman, and inducted into the National Film Registry in 1989, so it took a little over 50 years for that one. I don't know what time they started doing the National Film Registry. Yeah, I'm not sure either. So, that may, it may have been, like, that may have been the first year. Sure. So, no idea. Um, was it nominated for any Academy Awards? Uh, nope. Uh is I think one of Chaplin's forgettable films except for the except for him going through the gears. Mm-hmm. I think it really doesn't have like the punch of other Chaplin films where you're like, yeah. "Oh, this is a memorable gag. This is a memorable gag. This yeah. movie's just like here. He's in a, he's going to be working a lot." Yeah. He keeps oh, he does shenanigans. He's working though. Yeah. It's one of those films that I think kind of like what you mentioned, definitely City Lights or Gold Rush. Mm-hmm. Or are definitely more of the Chaplin. Um, City Lights is like the quintessential Chaplin yeah. film. Also, this is made in '36, so way past the time of sound, and it's 
purely silent film. There's like no, there's sound effects, but they're done. Um, they're done in a studio. Mm-hmm. They're no, like there's no recordings of anybody. The characters literally have title screens. Yeah. And I find that just ridiculous. Yeah. For thirty six. I think it also probably might have had something to do with the fact that Chaplin was still maybe a little stubborn with wanting to change his signature style. Well, it wasn't until The Great Dictator that he really changed his style. Yeah. And The Great Dictator probably deserves to be on this list. Yeah. Above this. I'll well, put- Modern Times, if I remember right, was one of his last films as The Tramp. Yeah, he put, he retired right. The yeah. Tramp. Really, I mean, he, I guess you could say The Great Dictator, he is The Tramp, but not mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Yeah, but it's the last time he's the tramp. And you can really tell that he was kind of doing a love letter send-off to him. But it doesn't deserve to be on the list. <laughs> it's also tough, I think, for this list, um, how many uh, silent era films to put on here? I mean, you need Buster Keaton. You need Chaplin. You need, like, you, those two you need. Maybe a D.W. Griffith, but that, we'll get to that later. <laughs> and I'll argue, I mean, I think we feel the same way about him. <laughs> but um, there's not a lot of silent dramas that made on here. Mm-hmm. It's just like silent film, the medium now is sound and sight. It's not just sight anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not a vis- It's a visual medium, but it's also uh, it's an audio medium. So mm-hmm. you need to have both sides now. And I think City Lights... Is incredible because they actually they use sound. They use like they did. If um, you know what room tone is, mm-hmm. you know like we catch your a minute of silence in a room with everybody in where they are. That's how you capture room tone. So they did that on City Lights, so that way it didn't feel as hollow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I shouldn't be talking about City Lights because we're talking about that later. <laughs> but it's just a purely silent film. It doesn't capture my attention. I don't think it captures anybody's attention anymore. Even people who are going to be voting on the, if they do another list, I don't think they'd ever say this. Yeah. As one of Chaplin's quintessential movies. Yeah, I mean Chaplin's just a guy that, um, like you, like you kind of mentioned, him and Buster Keaton um, should have some recognition on here. But at the end of the day, I, I think that you might be able to sacrifice a Chaplin film or two. I think this is when you sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, I would love to have The Great Dictator because it's so influential mm-hmm. now. So I think it just, this movie just doesn't hold up. <laughs> like, that's the biggest thing about it. It just doesn't hold up. There's yeah. like Buster, the general of Buster Keaton, which we'll get to later, is really good. And it still holds up because he's doing, like, there's no stunts. There's no mm-hmm. cuts. He's doing everything. So. Uh, yeah, definitely Modern Times uh, is not modern. It's, and it's very much of its time. <laughs> I'll be here yeah. all week, folks. Um, yeah. Anyway. Take your waitress. <laughs> um, moving on. A film that does hold up, I think. Uh, number 77, All the President's Men from 1976. Okay. This is one of your favorite movies. One of my favorite movies of all time. It stars Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set during the Watergate scandal. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nom- It won four Academy Awards. Yep, it was nominated for eight. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, directed by Alan J. Pacula, written by William Goldman, The Goat, um, stars Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford, Jason Robards, and Jack Warden, nominated for eight Oscars, it won four for um, Best Actor Supporting Role for Robards, Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Set Direction, Best Sound, 
is also nominated for Best Picture, Actress in a Supporting Role for Jane Alexander, Best Director, and Best Editing. Neither Hoffman nor Redford were nominated for I put for that this. in my notes as well because I thought that was nuts. I think um, that's, yeah, that's kind of absurd. Also, other notable films this year were, it lost to Rocky mm -hmm. for Best Picture. It also, Network came out this year, mm -hmm. Taxi Driver, Bound for Glory were all nominated for Best Picture. Mm -hmm. But you have a couple other on yours. Um, other notable notable films I put, Logan's Run, The Outlaw, Josie Wales, The Omen, Carrie, and Marathon Man. Yeah, it's... 76 was a good year. 76 was a very good year. Um, Rocky winning kind of like... Eh, it's a, it doesn't hold up as well as it should. I mean, <laughs> I the, guess at least... The second half of Rocky's amazing. The first half, it takes a while to get it. Well, I guess. At least the Academy showed Sylvester Stallone some love at one point. But... Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not a big Sly guy. I love Sly, but that was just a that was that was mean. <laughs> hey, you know what? It is what it is. Um, no, but all the president. I love Sylvester Stallone, by the way. Um, I do but too. all the presidents, man. Um, just one of the most. Um, I think it, it was really thrilling because you have you have some good source material here. Obviously, just the Watergate investigation and um, Woodward and Bernstein. Um, kind of just investigating this, uh, what really happened. Yeah. Um, and it, it could have, I think it could have strayed into some weirdly, like, technical stuff. I mean, it could have just given you a crap ton exposition. Yeah. The, the one thing I do like about this, it doesn't hold your hand. That's one, I think that's one of the best parts of this, is, like, if it came out in 76, so it came out two years, I'm oh, sorry, four years after the scandal happened and uh, Nixon resigned. So it was kind of this time where... You don't need a lot of context in what's going on Watergate. You like you have to know it, yeah, because it's so big. It's on the news everywhere. It opens up on the robbery, and then it goes straight to the courthouse, and it just these guys going to people who don't seem like they mean that much, yeah. But they break the story open. They like like it's really old journalism. It's something you don't see today, yeah. And also, it's just it's just really well done in the fact that um, they keep they keep pushing for more. There, there are multiple moments in this film where you think that oh, they might think they might have finally cracked it, but then they go to their, they go to Ben Bradley, the editor, and say, no, wait, we need to, we need another source on this. We need another, we need more information. They keep going to Deep Throat in the um, parking garage. But they can't use him as a source. They can't yeah. really use him because he's an unnamed source. Yeah, he's always off the record, and so they keep needing to get confirmation. They show it to people's houses in the middle of the night. Um, Dustin Hoffman kind of barges his way into one lady's house. Drinks like point. eight cups of coffee in one night just to get like one note. Yeah, he needs like he needed confirmation on one thing, um, and no, it's it's also really interesting just because um, uh, Woodward and Bernstein they, they they kind of butt heads at the beginning a little well, bit. Well, they're opposite sides of the spectrum. One's a yeah. diehard Republican, the other one's a diehard liberal, and they both kind of just they also have different levels of experience. Yeah, because well. um, they butt heads a lot. The opening scene of them together is them literally arguing about like because he Hoffman's character literally is taking uh, Redford's character's notes Hoffman's Bernstein okay so Bernstein is taking Woodward's notes like his what he is writing down and is just fancying it up and making it better because because Woodward's not a good as good a writer as Bernstein mm -hmm. but they kind of need each other in this kind of capacity where they're both finding things out. They're both working together. They're both writing and editing each other's work. They're, um, I mean, I think Bernstein does something that uh, Woodward doesn't really like. He's like, he does like, uh, yeah, I think there's a time when he had the coffee where he's just like, 
Why'd you spend so much time there? We can't go back there all the night. That's mean. We can't like it's really off putting. It's against the journalistic code. We can't yeah. do all this. And he goes, like, we have to. I mean, obviously, I'm a little biased since I am a journalist, um, and this is one of the most important journalism films. But also, it really just shows the the master class and, and just the master of his craft that William Golden was. Yeah, because there is not there's hardly any fat on this. There's not fat on, this on thing. it either. But also. I will say this: there, there's not a hero moment for any of these guys. Yeah, they're just working. Like, yeah, that's the. I think that's the best part about it. Like, I mean, the only thing I could even think of was when they finally do break the story about what all happened at the end. But even that's kind of just treated as like a more of a finale. You're doing anything. your job. Like, yeah, you're doing your, you, you yeah. did your job. You're moving on to the next thing. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, great for the post at the time, and really just dynamite performances across the board. Yeah, I mean, it's Redford and Hoffman. It's kind of a defining role for both of them. Like, if, if you go on the IMDb, I think those are, like, roles that are on their IMDb for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, they don't have introductions. They're kind of just like, here, Bernstein, you're working with Woodward. Do it. Yeah. I mean, this was also, like, prime Hoffman. Yeah, this too. is Hoffman when he was... This is, I mean, also prime Redford. This is yeah. Redford and Hoffman in the 70s were... At the top of their like, game. Well, the thing was, even Hoffman was like at the very top, and Redford was ascending at that point. Because really, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was really kind of his coming out party to yeah. like the mainstream. And then by the late 70s and the early 80s, Redford was on top. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, Hoffman had done The Graduate and had done, he'd done a bunch of other like just small roles. but mm -hmm. He, he had, had Marathon Man Mar this year, too. Marathon had Kramer versus Kramer a couple years later. Yeah. I mean, he was just, he was on top of it all. And then, yeah, and then Redford, um, even three or four years later, won um, Best Director and Best Picture for Ordinary People. Yeah. And so, yeah, just a really big movie for all of these guys' um, filmography. And, again, one of my personal favorites. I mean, how do you feel about the film as a whole? I think the first time I watched it, I wasn't prepared for them not holding my hand. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for it. And then me being the history nerd that I am, I dove into Watergate. And I had to do some research and they go like, and come back to it. So now I can watch it as a whole and go, that's what this means, that's what this means, that, that's what this means. This person's connected to Nixon. How that kind of all sets it up. Um, just the acting as a whole is incredible. Like, they don't seem like they're out of their element. They always seem like they're newspaper men. They mm -hmm. never seem like they are trying to project themselves as, I'm an actor playing a newspaper man, like The Post, whereas Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, where they are definitely acting as newspaper people yeah. and not really like whereas in this one Hoffman and, and Redford just seem like I'm a journalist this is what I do I ask questions well in the problem <laughs> my biggest beef with the post is the post is a film that they really do a job of kind of telling you about what's going on and there are very few scenes in the post where they actually go out and do any reporting there's a lot of people coming back Bob and saying, I found this. Basically, the only thing I can really think of is Bob Odenkirk going to that phone booth like three times in the middle, trying to confirm one thing. Yeah. But this whole, all the president's men is almost a thriller at times, just trying to figure out all these different clues. I mean, clues. the deep throat aspect of this is classic. You yeah. cannot deny how important that is, because deep throat is kind of a thing that we, it, it's in pop culture. Like, yeah. like there are so many times where you see it in The Simpsons or you see it on TV where it's like, they're making fun of it. Yeah. I mean, there's a commercial right now for like Prudential or something where it's like some guy's mask way in black. <laughs> He's like, I don't know you know who I am. All the President's Men, 
Um, definitely culturally significant. I mean, definitely. It's important to this day with how, oh, yeah. how the media is attacked <laughs> and how the media is seen. Absolutely. Definitely holds up still. Um, it's on Netflix right now. If anyone yeah, wants to check please, it out, please watch it. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. It's super important. I personally would put this much higher on the list, but I think it doesn't. I think it deserves to be higher than the seventies. Yeah. It and it was just inducted into the National Film Registry in twenty ten. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, a film. The next film. Uh, I'm just gonna say this right now. I don't think this next one should be on the list. Um, oh, you changed your tune. I have changed my tune. I will explain okay. why. Okay. Um, number seventy six is Forrest Gump. From 1994. So we had a conversation before we recorded this about a last sometime last week, and uh, Graham brought up the point that he didn't think Forrest Gump held up. And now it had been a few years since I've seen this okay. film, and I and I just from what I remembered, I was like, it's not that bad. It 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 kind of holds up. I watched this the other night. Okay. I think about two nights ago, and I I was I was like, man, this is moving kind of slow. And I was almost an hour in. Yeah, it's slow. It is super slow. Yeah, and I was like, nothing has happened. Yeah. It's like basically, I mean, it's it's like the poster child for revisionist history, obviously. <laughs> um, it's basically, the CGI and just, it's, is It was so, groundbreaking, but it's so it bad. It does not age well at no. all. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was so annoyed. I, I kept... Honestly, the lips were throwing me off. Oh, yeah, it was like, John Lennon, Lyndon B. Johnson, and Nixon, and JFK. and JFK. Like, whenever he would basically go to the White House or on some talk show, it was so bad. Anyway, I, I okay. guess I'll read okay. the facts I, I, for do, this. Do you want me to do it? I'll give you a second here. Okay, okay, sure. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Eric Roth, stars Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, and Gary Sinise. Nominated for 13 Oscars, won six. Um, it won... For Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Film Editing, Best Visual Effects. It was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, Best Makeup, Original Score. And <laughs> inducted into the uh, National Film Registry in 2011. Okay, uh, also, I watched it recently again, too. I, I saw the gripes I have about it. But it, like one thing you did say that's kind of stuck with me that I've really kind of changed my tune on it is a defining role for tom hanks it is and but here's the thing though like i've thought about this more and that was obviously like prime hanks in like the yeah. mid 90s because well, like he, he, he won back he won back to back oscars but i i don't even think i don't even know if forrest gump's like in my like top five hanks roles it's a defining role because he just has a he does a stupid accent the entire movie oh my gosh the thing is though he's <laughs> Is this too far to say he's one note in this movie? Yeah. He is one note. He That's, is one he's note. He's dumb. That's the yeah. entire point like, of the movie. He, he cries at the end, but like that was the like at the at the very end, I think at Jenny's funeral, um, is like the only time I really saw, saw him show any emotion besides like, I'm Forrest Gump or whatever. <laughs> and I'm just like I'm just like, man, this guy, like Tom well, Hanks deserves okay, better. When Bubba dies, you don't feel sad for Bubba, you're just like Oh, he died. Well, he's also barely in the movie. Yeah, Bubba is like <laughs> Bubba's like a central character, but he's like in the movie for ten minutes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he gets killed in Vietnam. Like, Half his screen time is him naming off shrimp. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, which is a kind of funny gag, but like you see, I like I think you see his family in as many scenes as you see Bubba, and like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, because it's like he gets roped into like things just happen to him. It's not like he's a he's not an active protagonist. Things just happen to him. He goes. He like. He happens to be running across a field, and 
There's Bear Bryant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then he's like, so he said he joins Alabama's football team. And then he happens to be there when the first black student in Alabama is there. Oh and he's, my like, gosh. he's like, you dropped your pan and follows her in. And you're just like, no. And then, <laughs> and then so like, he's, and he he's, just, it, he turns around and he just stands there awkwardly, just waves at the camera or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, no, that can't be gum. And then he walks behind them and grabs the towel and they're just shocked. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I Forrest Gump solved racism, I guess. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> According to that's what Robert Zemeckis told me. Um, the thing that really, like, you understand why I'm mad that this is the only film Robert Zemeckis has on the list. Well, like, I mean, the elephant in the room is Back to the Future. Back to the Future is an insane film. It's one of the best scripts ever written. Okay, also, I want to tell you a defining role for Tom Hanks is, well, Castaway. Castaway, that is also a Robert Zemeckis film. I mean, yeah. yeah like, I mean, heck, even Apollo 13. Paul, you could Apollo 13 actually should be on the list. Yeah. And it's actually a good film. <laughs> okay. Like, this is not a, like... As much as we hate hating on this, it's a good film. Like, it, like, it, it, like. It, I don't know if I can even say that. Honestly, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, turned, I have gotten so. I'm I have gotten so, so far the other way that like I don't even like this film anymore. Oh, I ruined this movie for. Like, this movie for Braden. I'm so sorry. You've opened my eyes to this that I'm just like, man, this film is boring. Robin Wright is not good. Robin Wright is like she's okay. Like it's just like. Like, her and Forrest are one note. Yeah. Like, Ro- Robin Wright is, I'm I'm going to be trouble. You know I'm going to be trouble. Okay, the one time I'm not trouble, I'm in trouble. Yeah. And then another time when I'm, I don't seem like I'm in trouble, I have cancer and I'm going to, I have AIDS, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and this is my son. Like, yeah, like, is, it's so, it's just, there's no depth to it is what my, no, I'm mad about. Like, but they, like, but like, it goes through so much history, but at the same time, you don't learn on anything. Oh my like, gosh, yes. And it's like, okay, he's he runs across America. Why? <laughs> it's just like, basically the reasoning is, I wanted to run. And I'm just like, okay, cool. And it, like, somehow he does the smiley shirt thing. Yeah. That is one of my favorite scenes, because it's just so stupid. So, that is one of the things, so I hate it in <laughs> movies. Like, one of my biggest pet peeves in movies is when... There is like a somebody has a name for something or some sort of product or whatever. Basically, the smiley face thing, and they're like, "Well, I wonder how that thing got named." And then, like for example, in Rocky Man this year, yeah, he basically he's like his name is Elton John or whatever his yeah. rebranded name, and he's like, "Where'd you get the John from?" And he looks and turns, and a sparkling photo of John Lennon is right behind him. Which isn't how I came up with that. Which isn't either, but it's, it's a dumb device. And also in Solo recently, he goes up and his name he goes up to the desk and he goes. My name is Han. Oh, you're by yourself? We'll call you Han Solo. <laughs> just like this happens in movies for some reason. They think this is a good idea. Well, I mean, where... like, like that made more sense than the thing with Elton John because he just had another friend named John. He's like, I'm gonna steal both your guys' names yeah. and put them together. It's just I, I just don't understand why people need to be spoon fed this thing. Like, oh, it's like the member berries from South Park. <laughs> <laughs> I'm member. <laughs> it's just, it's just like we don't need this. <laughs> I ruined this movie for Raiden. I'm sorry. I I just I don't like Forrest Gump. That I'm just gonna also I am probably jaded also by the fact that in high school for cross country and track people would yell at me <laughs> as and run, my, Forrest, my teammates run. run Forrest Run as we it's ran like, by. It is quotable. It is an important film for special effects. Like I'm gonna be talking technical. It's an important film for special effects. Yeah. The way that they made like 
back then, you believe that Robert F. Like that John F. Kennedy literally talked mm-hmm. to to Forrest Gump. And like it didn't look it looks bad. <laughs> it looks dated, <laughs> but it doesn't look like it's so bad. But like it's like but like back then you're like, wow. How'd they do that? Because yeah. you're kind of, you're wondering now. It's well, like, and now Ga- it, Gary Sinise uh, without his legs. Yeah, that's insane. That yeah. actually that actually that, like, that, that, like, that, that is one of the best effects. Honestly, Gary Sinise is the best part of this movie. Uh, well, he's the most detailed character. Yes, he's an arc. Yes, he actually. Uh, okay, honestly, when you have this this crazy drunk guy in a wheelchair as the guy as like the main, honestly has the most beef to his character. It's just like he starts off. He's a soldier. He wants to be the best soldier in the world. Okay, he gets his legs blown off. Yeah. Forrest rescues him, gets a medal of honor because, and he didn't. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I'll be pissed too if some dumbass came and got like <laughs> got the medal of honor for rescuing me. I rather die in the field of some honor. And yeah. then, then he's like, okay, now he's a drunk. He hates his, his life. Okay, he meets Forrest. They, he starts. He tells him like, you have a spot on my boat and for uh, Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. Mm-hmm. You have a spot on my boat. He goes and does it. He grows as a character. <laughs> Yeah, he, he breaks his alcoholism, and at the end, he's married to a <laughs> Vietnamese woman. Yes, <laughs> it's full circle, it's and like, he has legs too. He has legs. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he has prosthetics. You're like, yes. This oh. should have been called Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan. I want to see that story, not Forrest Gump. Garrison East is like one of the most underrated actors. Period. He is so good in this movie. Oh my gosh! It, honestly, straight he, up, he okay, should have won the Oscar. Yeah, how did he not win the Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so stupid. But also, this year, 1994, is an amazing year in film. Okay, so I want to. I will get to that when we talk about Shawshank. Oh, that's right. Uh, okay, so okay. We'll, we'll touch on that when we get okay, to Shawshank. Okay, the next movie, which yeah. we both like, I assume. Yes. It's In the Heat of the Night. In the Heat of the Night, it's 75, 1967, <laughs> directed by Norman Jewison, write, written by Sterling Siliphant, stars Sidney Poitier, Rod Steiger, Warren Oates, nominated for seven Oscars, um, and won five, um, one for Best Picture, Best Actor now for Rod, how do you think for Rod Steiger, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second, Adapted Screenplay, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, he's also nominated for Best Director, Best Sound Effects. Best picture that year was interesting uh, for 1968. Best actor that year was insane. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, In the Heat of the Night won. Uh, Bonnie and Clyde, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Dr. Doolittle, and The Graduate. Um, Other notable films that year were Cool Hand Luke, The Dirty Dozen, In Cold Blood, Camelot. Um, It was inducted in the National Film Registry in 2002. Um, This film's awesome. This this movie holds up so well. This film is so good. But also, Sidney Poitier, this is the first time we're seeing him. Sidney Poitier is one of the most important actors of all time. Mm-hmm. He was the first black leading man in the history of film. I think that he's going to get overlooked by Denzel and by Morgan Freeman. Well, there's uh, no Denzel without Sidney Yeah, Boy exactly. They're like, he is so important to this. But like the fact that he didn't get nominated, he had two films this year. Mm-hmm. Guess he's coming to dinner and, and in the heat of the night. He was nominated for best and actor. both were nominated for best picture. <laughs> and wasn't nominated for best supporting actor or best actor is insane. Mm-hmm. He is, like, Mr. Tibbs is one of the most important film characters of all time. I'm going to list off, <laughs> but that year's best acting category was insane, and Rod Steiger won. Dustin Hoffman for The Graduate, Paul Newman for Cool Hand Luke, Spencer Tracy for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Warren Beatty won for Bonnie, for not, for Bonnie and Clyde, and Rod, Rod Steiger, the guy who plays the racist police chief in The Heat of the Night, won. I, it might be the biggest upset of all time. Yeah, like this is also probably the best 
class of a best actor of all time. And Matthew Sinipode is in there. That is automatically the best. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's guys like Dustin Hoffman obviously got his due. Spencer Tracy, Warren Beatty has been there. But Paul Newman's another guy. Well, Cool Hand Luke is one of his defining roles, and he didn't get his due from the Academy for another 20 years. <laughs> yeah, actually, 20 yeah. years later. Yeah, 20 Spencer years Tracy, later. Spencer Tracy, no, sad. He died right before the, yeah. the Oscars. Um, but no, like Bonnie and Clyde's a defining role for Warren Beatty. The Graduates defining for Mike Nichols and um, Dustin Hoffman. Rod Steiger, he's not bad. He, he's fine. I think he's, he's a good. He, he, he's a supporting actor. Yes, though. that's the thing about that's it. That's also true. That's the thing I don't like about it because Cindy Poitier is the lead. Like you follow him. I follow like he. If you go and buy this movie on like iTunes or someplace, who's front and center? It is Sidney Poitier uh -huh. standing there with a shotgun. You're like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, I mean, Sidney Poitier, it's also a cool thing about him. To come out in 1967, is a, it's a really important time as well. But he had two films that are important this year. Yeah. One is about interracial couples. By the way, there's no get out without Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Exactly. <laughs> it literally is like, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is like, get out. Except it's like a, com uh, like a comedy. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a drama that's played out. But Sidney Poitier, the really cool thing, besides the fact that it's just a dynamite performance, he his arc throughout this film is really interesting. Because he's, he's bigoted, too. Well, because he's, he's, he's bigoted um, to an extent, and I think he's also just jaded um, yeah. by, by the way he's been treated, and also... He, you just you just see the growth through for him, and he's never he's never shown necessarily to be the victim. He's always he's always powerful. Um, yeah. He's always in control of the situation. He's a step ahead of a lot of people. Absolutely, and on, and they don't solve the case without him. No, um, I mean that famous scene in this. I think the most famous scene in this movie is where he slaps a white man. Oh yeah, like the guy called, the guy says, um, "I I could kill you," and then he would, he would applaud me. He points to Mark Steiger's character, and. He said, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And Rod Steiger just, and Rod Steiger just like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And Sidney Poitier just collapsed him across the face. Yeah. You're like, oh. Yeah, he, yeah he's, there was a, that scene where um, he, he's like, did you see that? And he said, yeah. And then, the, and then the guy who got slapped is like, okay, I'll remember that. And basically now Rod Steiger's character's job is in jeopardy because he didn't retaliate to that. Even though, I mean, the guy definitely deserved to be slapped. Well, he deserved to be slapped. <laughs> he was being racist. And like, but you, but also, also, there's a servant in that scene. The servant is like, he's like, mm, mm, he shook like his, walks he, away. He shook his head and walked out with the lemonade. Oh, my gosh. Such a good scene. Um, they Call Me Mr. Tibbs is another yeah. I mean, famous scene. The soundtrack's scene. incredible. It's Quincy Rachel, Jones. Quincy Jones and Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's name, just... Name a better duo. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Honestly. You're totally right. Um, this was another film that took a while. It was inducted into the National Film Registry in 2002, which... That seems like it's a long time. That does seem like it's a long time. Because the TV show came out in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Wow. No, I know. That's... I, I find that kind of odd. But, yeah, no, just for the, the time period it was in... The absolute dynamite performances. Sidney Poitier did win an Oscar a few years before for *In the Lilies of the Field*. Yeah, but like he had two films this year. It's like you you did two films this year that are both nominated for Best Picture, and you were the lead. I think also that could have been a statement by the Academy to like give Sidney Poitier the Oscar that year. Yeah. Not, not only he obviously deserved it, but also just in that time period to give a, a black leading man. And Oscar this, would have been huge. I mean, this is in the in the middle of the civil rights movement. Oh yeah, Dr. King gets killed the next year. Like it's one of those times where it it's so volatile. Like if he won, oh my God! I mean, that's insane. It would have literally changed the landscape of film. 
Um, I hope that people still can go back to this film and appreciate what it is. Um, and it definitely still holds up, for sure. Yeah, it holds up so well. Yeah, yeah. and again, I, it 100% deserves to be on this list. Um, a deserving Best Picture winner, for sure, yeah. as well. I'm I mean, also, like, besides the point of, like, we're talking about the acting, the story's really good, too. Oh, yeah. Like, it, like it's kind of this odd couple cops. I mean, it's a whodunit. Yeah, I mean, it's a buddy cop movie. Yeah. Before buddy cop movies were a big thing. Yeah. And, like, there's no lethal weapon without this movie. Oh, yeah. So, like, this movie kind of set the standard for buddy cop movies in the future. Absolutely. It didn't just create, like, didn't, like, just bring this kind of the racial at odd people. It literally brought this odd couple buddy cop thing to the forefront. And I don't think it works nearly as well if Rod Steiger and Sid, Sidney Poitier don't have that chemistry. Because they, no. have, they have a really good chemistry yeah, in this do. film, and yeah, they we're... grow from each other. They both... They both realize um, that they, they screw up at some point along the way here and both kind of have to realize eventually they have to work together to solve this crime. Yeah. And eventually they do. And uh, by the end, they're they're friendly toward each other. But no, it's just a, it's a landmark film. It's an important film. And it certainly holds up to this day. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Um, number 74 on this list um, is The Silence of the Lambs from 1991, uh, directed by Jonathan Demme, R.I.P., um, the written by Ted Talley, stars Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, Lawrence A. Bonney. Nominated for seven Oscars, and it won the big five. Mm-hmm. Um, best picture, best actor for Hopkins, best actress for Foster, best director, adapted screenplay. It joined It Happened One Night from 1934 and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in 1975 for the winners of the best, the big five Oscars. Um, it was also nominated for best sound and best film editing. Um, best picture that year. Um, was Sounds of the Lambs won, obviously, Beauty and the Beast, which was the first animated film ever to be nominated for Best Picture, uh, Bugsy, Prince of Tides, and JFK. Other notable films from that year, I had a few down here, uh, Boys in the Hood, <laughs> I just threw Hook in there. Hey, that's um, amazing. Thelma and Louise, The Fisher King, Terminator 2, Judgment Day, um, and it was inducted into the National Film Registry in 2011. Uh, this film rocks. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. It's the only real, let said Psycho, it's like one of the few horror films that's on this list. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster give defining roles of their career. Oh, my gosh. Like, push these people into superstardom. Because, like, Anthony Hopkins had been in a bunch of movies before. He's just a harding, hard-working British actor. Mm-hmm. Jodie Foster was a supporting actress in a lot of movies. This is, like, their first big role roles where they got recognition. Absolutely. And, I mean, Anthony Hopkins as Phantom Lecter. He's the best villain, I'm, I think, in film history. Uh, he's got to be up there. I mean, I think, I'm sorry, Vader's up there, but this... Yeah, well, I mean, I think Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter is definitely in the conversation. He's definitely a top five for me. Yeah. Um, and, and even to this day, in 2019, he's still thought of as Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, and especially after they spawned a few sequels after this yeah, film. Yeah, also, he's just terrifying. <laughs> oh, my gosh. he's he, does, he doesn't blink, and that's... Yeah. No, he... Um, <laughs> Um, his performance as Hannibal Lecter is just so unnerving. Um, just also, you kind of mentioned he doesn't blink. The use of his voice is yeah, so very, powerful. It's so calm. Oh, yes. It's, it's it, like, never registers really above, like, I mean, like kind of like shouting, but doesn't really shout. He's mm-hmm. really kind of this low register, very soft, very, mm-hmm. like... It, it almost, like, lures you in because it's so comforting. It's so unnerving, too. Yeah. Because, like, he's very intense. Like, if you look in his face, he's very intense. He's look, he's staring right at you. There's mm-hmm. no, there's nothing else he's looking at. He's looking right at you. 
and he like he seems unhinged, which he is, but he also is in full control the entire time. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting to watch as kind of as Clarice kind of interacts with him. There are many times where you're kind of thinking that well maybe Hannibal's warming up to her, but then he'll he'll say something that completely changes the situation. Yeah. Also, Anthony Hopkins has what sixteen to seventeen minutes of screen time. I I'm not sure. And something one like best that. actor. Yeah. Like he doesn't have a lot of screen time, but he, like every second of film that he's in, he owns it. Like, Absolutely, and it's a defining role. Um, it, it's really also just a, a neat story. Mm -hmm. Um, that Jonathan Demi Demi directs beautifully. Um, and, and obviously he won the Oscar for kind of another another mystery, if you will. Yeah, and it's off the serial killer craze that was mm -hmm. happening around that time because Jeffrey Dahmer. I think happened a couple years before, mm -hmm. or maybe this year. Maybe it yeah. was that year. But, like, it kind of sparked this movie. It actually did come out this year, because the Jeffrey Dahmer thing came out after the movie. Yeah. So, like, Hannibal Lecter and Jeffrey Dahmer kind of tied together, so it kind of carried the momentum. Because the movie was released in February that year, yeah. and it won Best Picture. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, that it really doesn't. So, I mean, I, in recent years, films have been nominated from that time. I think Get Out, Black Panther. But, yeah, no, to win from February is pretty big. Especially, I honestly... It's it would be really hard to do that today, even just with people's such short attention spans. Yeah, because like, like the first half memories. of a year, the first half of a year is just like blockbusters. It's a bunch of fluff, and the second half is like we're doing hard hitting dramas. Well, and... not even till like October or November nowadays is no. like when people like that's when the Oscar movies like if Bill Street could talk wasn't on my register until the first trailer released September last year. Yeah. It's, yeah, and also another interesting character from this film, Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, just the way that he is he is handled. Um, I believe, I could be getting this wrong, but isn't there a theory that he was possibly transgender, or? He was, he was supposed to be LGBTQ. LGBTQ, okay. Um, I, th I believe, like, they they made it seem like he wanted, but also there's kind of going off Ed Gein. Yeah. As a person who wanted to be female, but yeah. they didn't really know anything about him. It's hard to say. Yeah, it's kind of ambiguous. Yeah, but it kind of just... It sparked the serial killer craze that's on today. Like, Ted Bundy documentaries and movies come out now. Mm -hmm. We have Jeffrey Dahmer movies coming out. We have other things around serial killers. Like... It's Charles like, Manson showing up in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Exactly. Like, I mean, that movie's <laughs> built around the Manson murders. Yeah. Like, that's how important Sons of the Lambs is. It really kind of changed how we see horror. Because mm -hmm. this is the first horror film to ever won Best Picture. Yeah. Now, question... Uh, this may not change your tune on this, but do you see a defining line between horror and thriller? It depends. Like, I think Get Out's not a horror film. Mm -hmm. I think it's a thriller, but it has horror elements in it, which I think, sure. which I would say it's a thriller. But a lot of people say it's horror. Mm -hmm. A movie like It is a horror film. Absolutely, it has thriller elements in it, yeah. but it's a it's a straight up horror film. Yeah, I think this is a horror film that hinges with thriller elements. Because it's, it's not paced fast. Yeah. It's it's a slow grind. It's You get the last, like, 20 minutes is intense and fast, and you, you're moving. Yeah. I, I just wonder, I, I feel like I kind of lean toward it more being a thriller, just because I feel like horror, kind of the main focus of it is preying on your on fear. And, and this, I think, it definitely plays into that. Yeah. And where I think Hannibal Lecter, there's a lot of psychological warfare going on. Um, but I think that, and there are definitely some scary moments, but I feel like it's kind of more of a thriller just as Clarice is honestly just racing against time to figure out uh, yeah, it's the clues again for Buffalo, to find and capture Buffalo Bill. Yeah. I mean, there's, 
the horror elements of this are he's a serial killer. There are two serial killers in this, and both of them technically are kind of on the loose because because yeah. uh, Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter is in a room, but you feel like he's never really left the world. I mean, security guards are scared of him to even go over to his cell. I mean, also that's an amazing like piece of filmmaking because the way they you go down the psychiatric wards like the jail cells it's cell 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 and they're like a bunch of crazy people like going at you coming mm-hmm. at you like what the hell is Hannibal Lecter gonna be like oh, and yeah. it's a glass it's glass oh yeah because they know that he's reached through the bars and taken people like and killed people he's done that before and he's framed up and he's just standing there waiting for waiting for her. And he's the most calculated of any of them. Like, he, he mentions perfume. Mm-hmm. He mentions, I mean, the way she smells. Like, yeah. multiple, like the way she smells multiple times, and you're just like, it's, Ew. It's, like, it, it's creepy, for sure. Yeah, like, the horror elements of this are, it's serial killers. We're dealing with both sides. Like, one's inside, one's outside, but they're both free in a certain way. It's a race against time. She's, and Hannibal Lecter's therapist, so he's breaking down her walls and the Sons of Lambs is based on her like a horror a horrible experience that she had uh, Clarice had and breaking that down that's a ho- another horror element and like the last 20 minutes of this movie is compact with Buffalo Bill is intense mm-hmm. it's hard it's hard to watch some parts yeah and no, I think one of the one of the biggest triumphs is just Jodie Foster's performance and how she portrays how she is she is. She tries to keep herself collected through all of this mm-hmm. mayhem going on, but you can tell that kind of as she finds out more information, ends up getting into Buffalo Bill's like house or she, his she dungeon because they went, took down the wrong house, and she she accidentally sent them the wrong address, mm-hmm. and she's like, "I don't know what this means." It's like right, right before she knocks on the door, she realizes what she did. Oh yeah, and then and then at that point, she eventually finds her way out of it. But no, it's. It's an incredible film. Um, Jonathan Demme, a couple couple years later, uh, made Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, he he just pa- he passed away recently, within the last year or two, I think. Yeah. Um, he was, yeah, real really important around this time. Ninety one, another good year for film, mm-hmm. for sure. Coming up next, number seventy three, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from nineteen sixty nine, directed by George Roy Hill, written by William Goldman. Your boy. My boy. <laughs> um, stars Paul Newman, Robert Redford, Catherine Ross. Um, nominated for seven Oscars, won four for Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, a Best Original Song for Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, um, Best Score, and is also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Sound. Neither Newman or Redford nominated for this. I thought I just had to mention that. Just, just keep going. We'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. Um, best Picture that year, um, it was um, it won for uh, Midnight Cowboy, um, Anna of a Thousand Days, Butch Cassidy and Sunday's Kid, Hello Dolly, and Z. Hmm. Um, so weird, weird, like class. Yeah, it is. It's is um, kind of weird. What do you have to say? The fact that Paul Newman and Rep Redford both were nominated blows my mind. Because <laughs> Robert, Red, this is Robert Redford's coming out party. He's been, oh, yeah. he had been in Barefoot in the in the park. He had been, he'd been like a romantic comedy or comedy guy. This proved like he's the straight man in this movie. Yeah. Paul Newman, who's usually a straight man, is the comedian. He's kind of goofy in this movie. He's really goofy. And they're both defining roles for both these actors. And it created a partnership. They became friends on the set. Mm -hmm. They made the sting a few years later with Joy Roy Hill. Yeah. It's 
it's my favorite western. Like personally, it is my favorite western. Like I remember watching this the first time and just going like, "This is insane how they did this." Because it's it's a story that's hard to describe. I, I would say because they're yeah. on, they're on the run the entire movie. Well, it also is interesting how they basically this is the end of like their journey. Yeah, basically, because they because they set it up how they had the hole in the wall gang had kind of already robbed all these trains and they'd kind of been on and they break up. Yeah, and they and they had broken up and then like that's kind of how the film starts. They're kind of trying to get their gang back together and yeah. it sort of works out, but they kinda, just they end up just blowing up a train. Yeah, they put too like they haven't done it in a while and they blow, they literally it, it was the second robbery because they robbed it the first time and met that one guy that didn't want to open the door. So they got they got in there and there was hardly any money in there and then. They they came back and it was the same guy. They opened he opened up the door because they had held a woman hostage. And then Paul Newman's character, um, Butch, basically said this should be enough dynamite. And then he puts way too much in there and it blows up the entire train. And, and then the then, then the federal government's after them at that mm-hmm. point. And uh, it's so good. It's like it's one of my favorite. Like if if it comes on, I'm like I'm watching Butch Cassidy. I have to watch this movie. Absolutely. Like, it's so well made. If it's not my favorite Western, it's definitely top three or four. Um, it's also another um, great performance. Catherine Ross. Yeah, she's very she's, she's very good. She's used sparingly, but she's very good mm-hmm. in it. She's There's also kind of like this weird tension between Paul Newman and Robert Redford over her. Because it's... She's, she's with Robert Redford, but there's definitely some romantic, some sort of... Because the rain keeps falling on my head. Is Paul Newman driving around on a bike... <laughs> And they're like having a good time and all those things. So you're like, they have a friendship there. Don't know if it's romantic or not. But like, well, she even asked him if I had met you before him, do you think we would be together? Yeah, there's something. Yeah. There, there's something there, but it's not like. I kind of like that because it's like, they talk about it, but at the same point they push past it, and yeah. the story is more important than that. Like the the real the real life story of this is more important. And also, it doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah, like they they run out. They run out with their guns blazing at the end, yeah. and you hear a hail of gunfire. There's no way in hell they survive. No, but but that's also that's also not the point, though. Yeah. At the same time, like clearly, the last they, image they of never... these guys should be this, where they're running out their guns blazing, because you know you love these characters by this point. Mm-hmm. Like Butch and Sundance are both about to die. Like they're both been shot, they're both wounded. It's like we're gonna go out in a blaze of glory. Instead of showing it to you and us being martyrs, we're just gonna show you the last image of them right before they die. Well, and it's a great piece of writing because um, uh, Paul or Butch's um, kind of plan had been to go to Bolivia to kind of escape all the nonsense going on when they were in the states. And right before they they go into that final gun gunfire, they uh, Butch mentions going to Australia. Yeah, and it's just a nice moment of levity right well, before and, their and, demise. And then, like he, la- they, they both laugh, and it's just like yeah. it's like he, like that was earned. That was an earned moment between these two. Mm-hmm. It's just. Really well done, um, William Goldman. Um, he, I believe, he said, if I remember right, he. Re- I read in an interview he had written this in sixty four, sixty five. So he held onto the script for a few years. I don't think it would have been made in sixty four, sixty five. W- and it wouldn't. I think he was waiting for the right for the right um, director, and George Roy Hill was the right guy. I also think he was also waiting on. Uh, I think he wanted Paul Newman in it. And mm-hmm. it- well, he also um, he was a just a, a book author um, mm-hmm. for most. Uh, this was kind of his one of his first forays into. Um, feature filmmaking, and um, again, just an incredible film. Uh, Celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, um, and also just another tidbit. Also, um, named, recently. He did. 2018. He did. I didn't know that. Yeah, he passed away late last year. 
Um, R.I.P. to William Goldman. Honestly, if not the best screenwriter of all time, one of the best. Yeah, here's another film. <coughs> here's another film that's not on this list. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. And I didn't realize he wrote that. Oh yeah. Oh, you didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't. That... Princess Bride. I think you could make an argument. It could be on this list. Yeah. It. That's one of my favorites. He also wrote Chaplin. Mm -hmm. He wrote. I mean, he wrote. Oh, he wrote Misery. Ooh. He. I'm telling you, William Goldman. Is I'm telling you, I'm hey, calling Marathon him. Man. I'm calling him the goat for a reason. Right? The bridge too far. Yeah, he's the Stepford Wives. Yeah. Wow, Apio. Yeah, I would. I would. He's he, definitely up there. He has a he has a case to be made for sure. Definitely. Um, yeah, and also uh, just a random fact: uh, Robert Redford named his uh, film festival after this. Yeah, Sundance. Sundance, Sundance is in Utah so. every year. Mm -hmm. Park City. Um, all right, moving on to number seventy-two. Uh, Shawshank Redemption from 1994, uh, directed and written by Frank Darabont, stars Tim Robbins, Morgan Freeman, Bob Gunton, and Clancy Brown. Um, nominated for seven Oscars, did not win anything. Um, nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Freeman, uh, Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Original Score for Thomas Newman. Uh, Tim Robbins, not nominated. Um, uh, Best Picture, real quick, for 1994, um, Forrest Gump won. Shawshank Redemption, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, I also thought I'd add, it is number one, the number one rated film on IMDb. Uh, I was like, you put LOL next yeah, to it. Just because, we'll get, we'll get to that in a second. Um, inducted just, into the National Film Registry in 2015, so fairly recently. Yeah. Um, I just rewatched this film recently, yeah. um, This early this week. This film is awesome. This movie, it's one of the like most watchable movies of all time. Like you can get into it and go like, it's three hours, cool. Like, oh yeah, well, like it's, it's like the opposite of Forrest Gump. Well, yeah, no, it's <laughs> it, well, honestly, it really is because this film takes place over a couple decades. Yeah, and it's like they don't sugarcoat anything. They like, it's almost three hours long. It also, uh, it's not, it's not quite three hours. I believe it's it's two twenty. I believe okay. two twenty-two. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. It's. It, I feel. I guess it's like it's pretty long. It, it's pretty dense. I would say at times because it feels like you read you read a book after you mm -hmm. you've seen um, the movie. And also, I think I mean you might you might disagree with this, but this really kind of set the stereotype of Morgan Freeman's voiceover. <laughs> First time he did voiceover, <laughs> yeah. and now he's like typecast. <laughs> yeah, now he's known for that. Basically, he's incredible in this role. Yeah. I you know the point for this. It's the only. King adaptation on the list. Stephen King adaptation that's on this list. Oh, really? Yeah, The, Shining, the Shining isn't on the list. That's right, yeah. Which, that's, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> honestly, that's really the only reaction you should have. Um, it's, I like I said earlier, it's probably the most rewatchable movie of all time. Like You can, like, you can like be in the middle of it and go like, oh, yeah, this part. I love this part. Oh, yeah. Like, tarring the roof scene is iconic. Mm -hmm. uh, the, like, the... Tim Robbins' character is the first couple days he's in prison's iconic. Like the end is, I well, I mean, just, there, there are, I mean, there are so many great lines. One of my favorite lines from it is, "Man, out, on the outside, I was straight as an arrow. It took me to come to prison to be a crook." Yeah, when he was doing, doing the money laundering thing. I mean, there are just so many well-developed characters in this film yeah, too. I mean, there's arcs. Everybody has an arc. There's not what like Morgan Freeman in the beginning is like, "I want to get out of here. I want to get out of here," and then by the end of it, he's like. I don't give a shit if you let me out of here or mm -hmm. not. Like, well, especially after kind of what happened to Brooks. Yeah. Too after Brooks um, had been in there for so long, over fifty years in in Shawshank, and he got in the outside. And, and, and also, this is set in the 
fifties. Uh, it starts. Um, Andy Dufresne comes to Shawshank in, in forty and forty-seven. So Brooks had been there before the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. So he had not seen the outside world. There had been cars. There had been uh, there had been planes. He had not seen any of that. Mm-hmm. And he goes out into a new world. That whole Brooks thing it makes me cry every time. His yeah, his scene on the outside when he eventually commits um, suicide. Uh, that's it's just tough to watch. Even he had that one line in there when he's like, "When I was out here, this world wasn't so busy. Everybody's moving around." Uh, he's get hit by a car in that. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's it, it's just tough to watch. Um, it's it's also tough um, for Tim Robin for Andy Dufresne. Um, it, he's in there for 19 years, and then um, that uh, uh, hotshot kid comes in at six, around 65, 66, yeah. and basically confirms that Andy's innocent. And the warden has him killed, has that kid oh, killed. Oh, yeah. He brings him out for a special meeting, and Clancy Brown shoots him. Yeah. And so Also, and- Clancy Brown, SpongeBob actor, let's go, <laughs> Mr. Krabs. <laughs> Clancy Brown is incredible in this movie and he just is. in general. He's like, also, he doesn't age, which is like, the, like everybody oh, else yeah. ages, and Clancy Brown just stays the same. It's like, the same face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got that Tom Cruise mentality. He's so, he's, it's an insane film. Um, it's someone on IMDb for, I think, the reason that I'm saying. It's so rewatchable. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't trust the IMDb ratings, but at the same time, this film... By the way, this is pro- this is my favorite film of this Best Picture bunch, I would say, for my personal favorite. Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction for you. But I think that, like, I would, if you told me that you chose this above it, I would be like, yeah. Like, it's yeah. Still, like the fact that this didn't win any Academy Awards blows my mind. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, it's, this, like this is... Frank Darabont, who I think is an underrated director, directed the Green Mile. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's so underrated. It's so well made. It should, I think, higher on this list. It should be top fifty. Sure, because uh, it defined because it made made Morgan Freeman a household name. He he had won, he'd been nominated for a couple of Academy Awards by this point, but this made him a household name and a defining role for Tim Robbins mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, it's also just so well paced. Yeah, um, because you're going through so many years. And you you you're not you're not lost. Um, you, no. you you have all you always have a sense. They do a fantastic job of telling you when when it when when things are happening and where in the timeline I mean, you also, are. Also, the way that they do that is by the women that he has up on his wall, like like. Oh yeah, the Rita Hayworth. Rita Hayworth, <laughs> like it's like it starts off in the forties as a pinup model from like World War Two type. Mm-hmm. Then it goes fifties where it's like then it turns to color and then. Like Marilyn Monroe's on there at one yeah, point. Yeah, it just goes and it keeps going. And you're like, this is brilliant. Also, um, obviously, there's that money shot of Andy Dufresne in the rain after he escapes. But um, I, I love right before that, um, right before they tell you kind of how how he did it the when, warden, when they the when they, the warden throws a rock at the poster and it goes through and then they lift it up and they're all just looking into the hole. Yeah, that's an insane cinematography moment. Oh my gosh. It, oh, Roger, 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 Roger Deakins. Deakins. Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins, who we're talking about the goat. He might be the goat for cinematography. He's the goat. We're talking about maybe <laughs> he is the goat. Who's nominated for cinematography that Oh my year? gosh. And just finally won. Yeah, for, for Blade, Blade Runner 2049. Which is ins- it's so amazing, but like you look at his films, you're like, this is not the best work. <laughs> Roger, Roger Deakins is... I mean, we could have a whole podcast on Roger Deakins. We could. We, we might do that <laughs> we down, might, the, we we might do that down might the line. We might do that. But so we're doing our filmmaker series. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll definitely do Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins is incredible. Um, he, shout out to him, man. Um, finally, for our last film on this list, uh, or for this um, episode, um, number 71, Saving Private Ryan, 1998. 
um, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Robert Rodot, um, stars Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, Tom Sizemore, nominated for 11 Oscars, uh, won five, um, it won for Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, Best Effects. It's also nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Tom Hanks, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Makeup, and Best Original Score um, for another GOAT, John Williams. Yeah. Um, and Best Picture that year was Shakespeare in Love 1, <laughs> Elizabeth, Saving Private Ryan, Life is Beautiful, Thin Red Line. Um, other notable films from that year, Truman Show, uh, American History X. I put Armageddon on there. <laughs> and I put a personal favorite of mine out of sight. Begin the Bayhem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, and a personal favorite of mine, um, Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight. Yeah. I, I just think that's a fun film. Okay. Um, with George Clooney. But <laughs> Okay. You, I brought this up before. I rewatched this like a different Forrest Gump. I've changed my tune on this. Okay. Because I th- I've always, like, I've one thing to argue with you. Spielberg's on here five times. Mm-hmm. That's a lot for yeah. like, one director. Sure. But this film is so perfectly made. <laughs> like Yes. It's it's one of my one of my favorite um, war films. I think it could be lower for one reason. The first thirty minutes of this movie takes place in Omaha Beach mm-hmm. and it, it that part kinda drags. I think kinda it does. Because okay. it's like you're showing the carnage, you're showing the carnage, you're showing the carnage. There should be breaks. I feel like I feel like they're not I feel like you're trying to get to the brutality of war. Yeah. Like it's the over-talking of a point at a certain point, in my opinion. Okay. But, like, it it happened. I'm really glad that he showed it. It is one of the most important scenes in film history. It's one of the most intense opening scenes in film history. Yeah, you, like, you open up on, on, on Omaha Beach. No holds bars. Like, we're going full. We're going you don't know any of these characters that just, just all this gunfire everywhere. All you know is Tom Hanks. Is there. You're like, please don't kill Tom Hanks. <laughs> Yeah, Vin Diesel showed up too. Yeah, Vin just, Diesel's Vin Diesel. Oh, I forgot that was like his first. Like, Adam Goldberg. Yeah. yeah. No, there, I mean there are a lot of like, oh, that guy in this movie. Yeah, too. you're like you're like, oh, you've been in a bunch of stuff. You've been in a bunch oh, of stuff too. I mean, Tom Sizemore, personal favorite of mine, um, has one of the best lines in cinematic history from Heat. Um, the action is the juice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm just gonna. I will work Heat into every episode of this podcast that I can. I need to rewatch Heat. Um, I, I, need, I need to keep up. It's so good. Um, that, honestly, I do a whole podcast on Heat too. Anyway, we can. If you want. <laughs> we can do an episode. Um, but anyway, back to Saving Private Ryan. I actually saw this for the first time on my birthday this year. Um, oh really? Yeah. So here's the thing. So I had this is one of those films I had seen parts of. I'd seen the opening scene on on Nor- uh, Omaha Beach. Um, I'd seen um, bits and pieces here and there, but I'd never seen the whole thing together. Yeah. And so finally, they were showing. They brought it back to theaters for the 75th anniversary of D Day. Yeah, I went, um, I went to see that as well. Yeah, yeah. So I went to that screening. Uh, really well done. Um, for about I think it's close to three hours. Um, it, it's two hours forty-five. Yeah, so it's I mean it's a it's a longer film, but I think it's paced well enough where I, I was engaged the whole time. Um, kind of a, a journey film as well. Yeah. Um, and also just that last scene when they finally find Matt Damon. Um, and also Matt Damon was still kind of like coming off of Google Hunting, mm-hmm. so he this was filmed before he did Google Hunting, I believe. I believe. Oh, I, didn't I, know I believe that. like this is right before like they finished filming for mm-hmm. this. Or like he had wrapped Google Hunting and did, did this, and so he wasn't that big of a star. And then they kind of were like, "We can't put Matt Damon as like one of the headlines." <laughs> oh yeah, because he's we're just supposed to be on the poster. Yeah, um, yeah, no, but even like it, I think it's it, another really cool um, decision that they made is the film could have just been 
finding Private Ryan, and that was it. Yeah. But but they they made it more. Um, him and him and Tom Hanks had a really great scene um, where they're kind of just talking about um, Tom Hanks back home. He was a school teacher, yeah. and kind of what they're what they're fighting for. Um, Matt Damon, all his brothers had died already, and they and yeah. Well, they that, kinda, that, that so let's get before that. Let's back it up a little. Bit. Yeah. The reason they're going for Private Ryan, there was a rule that uh, servicemen couldn't of the same family or brothers cannot serve in the same unit. Well, they split him up, but all these brothers still had died. His last brother was on Omaha Beach and died. He was somewhere in with the 101st Airborne, so they had to go search for him. They had to go find him in Nazi-occupied France in the middle of a war. So that's kind of, it's a really interesting story. It's basic. It's, I mean, it's based on like some truth, some truth, but like they would never really do this. But they, I think it was a way. Well, they even mentioned that throughout the film. Like, why are we searching for this one? Exactly. Kid? <laughs> and it, the reason this film really got picked up by Spielberg is Spielberg's father was a World War II veteran, and his he got really detached from his father, which is why he did a bunch of films with divorced people because his parents got divorced, and he really kind of sent away from his father. And then this is kind of like this is for you. It's also a big reason why he did Schindler's List. Schindler's List, but he also yeah. rediscovered his, uh, yeah. his Jewish roots. Mm-hmm. But, like, this is like, it, I mean, at the end it says to my dad. Mm-hmm. Like, how important that is to him. And this movie, it, I mean, it made World War II veterans come out and talk about their experience. It's important for that just alone. It's a really well-made movie. It deserved to be Best Picture above Shakespeare in Love, which is a goofy romantic... <laughs> comedy type thing with Ben Affleck playing a, playing a British actor with a bad accent. Yeah. Shout out Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, another Weinstein um, company oh, film no. as well. But, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, geez, how are we going to end this? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that is our 10 for this week. What films in this 10 would you say don't deserve to be on the list? I would say Forrest Gump... Now that we talked about it a little bit more, Forrest Gump probably shouldn't be on the list, but maybe like in the 90s, just for importance sake. Um, Modern Times, and I changed my tune and Saving Private Ryan. I wrote this before I rewatched it. Mm-hmm. So I think Modern Times is the only one I'd be like, this needs to go. This, yeah. this is the only one I'm like, this needs to go. Films that should be higher, Butch Cassidy, um, All the President's Men. You could... I would, I would put in, The Apartment. In Shawshank Redemption, in The Sha- Apartment yeah. are like... The ones I'm like, these are classic films. These aren't just like, um, these are important films, but they're classics. Yeah. They're I, standards for what we look at the genres that they're in. And I think those films that you mentioned, I mean, there are a decent number of films in this list, in this portion of the list. I mean, we're getting the heavy hitters at this point. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, these are all-time great films and that push the genre, um, that were made by some of the best people in Hollywood at that time. Yeah. Um, I mean, just people at the top of their game. I really, I really enjoyed this section for sure. I mean, we, I mean, we went hundred. I mean, we went over a lot in yeah. this episode. We covered from basically from the early from the sixties yeah. all the way. To well, from nineteen thirty six. Nineteen thirty. Sorry, nineteen thirty six to, to nineteen ninety eight. <laughs> yeah. So we covered a lot of ground in this episode, yeah. and I'm really glad we talked because this is going to be what conversation is going to be like for the rest of the way. Because yeah. we're just getting heavy hitters every Absolutely. time. It's just going to get better from here. Um, thank you all again um, for tuning in to another episode of Ins and Outs Podcast. Um, we'll be back again next week with the next 10 um, films in the list. Um, for Graham Cannon, I'm Braden Shaw. 
Um, and we'll see you next time. Peace.